again and welcome to Campion Conversations, an informal podcast discussion of pop culture and the liberal arts, or usually it would be that. My name is Dr. Dre, lecturer in literature here at Campion College of the Liberal Arts. The Apologia Pro Vita Sua, or A Defense of One's Own Life by John Henry Newman, was an attempt by its author to defend his conversion from Anglicanism to Roman Catholicism. Published in 1864 and never out of print, it remains one of the most influential personal accounts of religious opinion in Western history. Now, we're discussing Newman's Apologia today as it's been selected by Mr. Thomas Flynn, lecturer in classical languages here at Campion College, as one of the texts that you should read if you are interested in the liberal arts. So, Mr. Thomas Flynn, thank you so much for your selection and for joining me to answer some questions today. Thank you, Colin. We should explain just very quickly, um, this is a little bit different to our usual discussions of pop culture and and literature. What is it that we're hoping to do today? Well, um, it's just books, I think, that are are books we think that are of um, interest to anyone interested in the liberal arts that you might have not thought of reading. Um, They may be classics or they may just be things you, people people don't really think about reading. The target idea is, at least within the range of an upper high school student, uh, or maybe a stretch goal, but this is this one would be a stretch goal, but it's um, still not that hard to read and very rewarding indeed. It, oh, really? Oh, so this one's a little bit a little trickier? Bit, well, a little bit trickier because you're... Well, we'll come into that, but it's um, just a, the, material, the kind of material it covers. But it's um, it opens up sort of vistas into philosophy, theology, history, Great. literature. All right, well, maybe we should start with the writer. I'm going to freely admit I am not that familiar with this text, nor its writer, so could you uh, maybe give a little explanation of John Henry Newman, who he was, when he lived? John Henry Newman, uh, I'd say call him a man of the 19th century, born 1801, died 1890. Uh, He came from a prosperous background. His father was a banker. Uh, He went into scholarship and as was the way at the time that meant he had to be a clergyman in the church of england which he was he was a he was a believing christian pretty much his whole life and um he became a catholic a roman catholic in 1845 and uh, eventually entered a religious order called the oratorians and towards the end of his life pope leo the 13th in the later about 1880 i think made him a cardinal so he's always known as cardinal newman um, he was hugely influential on the acceptance of Catholicism in England and throughout, I think throughout the British Empire, it's fair to say, and the countries that come from there. He, um, he, he really sort of challenged Protestant ideas about what Catholics were like, and he also challenged Catholics too. But by the end of his life, he, um, as I say, he was an Anglican. He, um, uh, he was part of what's called the Oxford Movement, uh, which began in 1833. This was an, a movement to... When they were all Anglicans to um, bring and call Anglicanism back to um, its true mission, and they're saying they they regarded what was a national apostasy in England. How, um, despite being an established church, really the truths of the um, faith were being abandoned, and what was needed was a restoration of what they call Catholic principles. And they didn't mean precisely Roman Catholic principles; they mm. just meant it needed to be more in alliance with the. Um, the forms of Christianity as existed uh, throughout uh, the church's history. 
and and uh, in, fact, in view of the fact that he was such an important part of the Oxford movement, it's funny that when he was 16, his father was taking him to university, and this is the way they did it in those days, folks. Um, they got into the carriage at the door, and his father said, shall I take you to Oxford or Cambridge? Oxford. What? <laughs> so, and um, he was persuaded, apparently, by a friend of his. The father was persuaded. So by there's a no admissions <laughs> process? Uh, well, this, is, this is the admissions process. It's so, which um, carriage? You, no, no, you, so he takes him to the carriage and says, right, okay, drive on, we're going to Oxford. And so he goes to Oxford, and then there's the admissions process. You, you go to a college, say, well, have we got a place for my son? No, no, but you can try Trinity College. And so he went to Trinity College. But it, to think that he they might... They had letters then, though. Yeah, like, yeah, but You just turn up on the door it. and go... No, as I understand it, it's easier to do it face-to-face. Wow. And, um, probably more polite, I think. You can't just send a letter saying, accept my son. So um, we have to negotiate as to... Because, um, because, precisely because it's wherever there's a place for you. So right. um, he um, A little less polite when they say, no, there is no place. Take your weird-looking son, get back on your carriage and go. No, no, I don't think it worked quite like that. It was the, it was the, it was the style at the time. Um, for those of us who've done um, the complicated university admissions procedures and filled in stuff online <laughs> then watched it disappear because you didn't do it right, um, that's how it used to be. Uh, not at Campion. Um, no. Although if you do turn up in a carriage, we probably we probably let you yeah, in. I think. I think. Some I, time. Yeah. I, I, I think so. If you turned up dressed like John Henry Newman <laughs> like, uh, in 1817, I, I I think I'd give you an interview. You water down the horses while you yeah. talk to the. I lady. certainly would. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, so he. Um, uh, but so the, the 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 interesting thing is that he almost didn't go to Oxford at all. Uh, as he was a Christian all his life, and he um, he was he was unwell for quite a bit. Suddenly, as a young man, and he um, was uh, touring in in Europe. He was he was um, on a recuperation holiday away from the dreadful damps of England, and um, when he heard that there had been this sort of outcry, and that uh, a man called John Keeble had um, delivered a sermon warning against the apostasy, and as a result of this, um, the Oxford movement was founded, and this was precisely to restore what they called apostolical principles, be more like the apostolic church, as they saw it, uh, the church of the apostles straight after the life of Christ. And uh, so they were, so this is, this is the um, origins of what we call the Catholic movement in the Church of England, and throughout Anglicanism. What a lot of people said at the time is, ah, oh, Newman, you're all going to become papists. Sorry, you were so close to, hello, Newman. Sorry, well, yes, yes, it's uh, a different Newman entirely. Ah, <laughs> oh, so a lot of the people were saying, oh, Newman, you're going to become a papist. And, and then, of course, he did. And so they thought, ah, oh, we were vindicated. He was being deceitful and lying and a shifty Roman priest all along. Mm. Um, he was probably a Jesuit. Um, even though, of course, he then didn't become a Jesuit. Um, so, ah, oh, that was what was really Jesuitical, that he didn't then declare himself a Jesuit. Uh, anyway, uh, so this was, this was I mean, I, I'm parodying it a little, but this was a sort of prejudice Newman encountered. And these, there are reasons for that, and historical reasons, and um, we don't need to deny them. But so anyway, he was serving quite a quiet life as a priest by about 1864, so he'd been a Catholic for about 20 years. And he was a priest in Birmingham when he read one day a review, uh, a review, a review of um, someone else's book by Charles Kingsley. Charles Kingsley, famous for Water Babies, mm. um, who was uh, Charles Kingsley is sort of the uh, summary of a Victorian gentleman and um, uh, you know sort of social conscience, um, very firm grasp of um, the proper roles of men and women in, in society. 
uh, anyway, in, in the course of this review, it's a review of uh, a history of, um, of England, he said, uh, truth for its own sake, you know, he says that Newman taught that truth for its own sake had never been a virtue with the Roman clergy. So he's implying that Newman not only was a liar, but that he taught that lying was acceptable. Wow. And uh, this, Newman was outraged, and he, there was a fear, this was the start, this is the way these things were done, it wasn't um, flame wars on Instagram, mm. um, it was a fierce public correspondence. Um, so Newman wrote to him and said, and then said, I'm, by the way, I'm going to publish our letters, and Kingsley replies. And so it's clear that uh, Newman is just outclasses Kingsley as a mind. Uh, but, but gradually it becomes apparent to Newman, you guys just did not understand me all along. Um, mm. Really, he, you, did, you thought I had been deceiving. Many Protestants believed that when he was an Anglican arguing for Catholic ideas, small-c Catholic ideas, within the Church of England, in fact, he was secretly a papist. So, um, uh, so... By 1864, what he did, so at this time, in his correspondence, in this controversy with um, Kingsley, he used his letters, precisely, and his diaries from the time of his conversion and before to reconstruct the history of his opinions. And the subtitle is A History of My Opinions. Um, Newman, he was a great writer in many ways. And this was one thing, he was terrible at titles. Um, and some, of the, some of the proper titles of his books are... Um, are really quite uh, dreadful. Um, and so I, th- I think it was A History of My Religious Opinions until 1842 or something. It, it was the title he eventually settled on. The Apologia was just the title he did for the first time he published it. And thank God, history's rejected that. We call it the Apologia. It's Apologia Provita Sua, the defence of his own life. So he re- reconstructed the history of his opinions um, in order to explain how he left Anglicanism and became a Roman Catholic. Um, and, and it is um, really getting inside his own head and trying to think, well, what did I think? What was I right? What was I wrong? And um, how it actually happened. And so what's interesting, of course, is it's not a neat progression, is, um, as he himself observes, is that there's um, massive transformations in one area, but just one other thing just holding it back. And it's not, it's not a sort of equal, even progression. And, and, and a lot of what, he, what he, the, the book, um, what makes it, Slightly difficult is, of course, there's the background of the ecclesiastical politics of the time and the university politics of the time. Um, so trying to understand who's what, and you, it's, it's not always easy to see through. But I think you can just, if you concentrate, you can follow mm. it. But it's, um, but it has, of course, some very beautiful passages um, explaining how how he um, got from there to here. So it's it's not a text that's attempting to kind of glorify or tidy up his history like he actually I don't think so I mean of course you could say well, maybe it is right. um, so like leaving in some of the messiness and oh, the contradiction oh, 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 the... yeah 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 certainly okay. um, and uh, he's, he's quite I think quite frank about it, but you might also say that perhaps maybe he is doing a kind of cover-up job by doing a non-cover. That's not an unfair criticism. Were his arguments was was Kingsley perhaps right? Maybe Newman wasn't being straightforward for whatever reason, good or bad. I personally found. I mean, I haven't read every biography, but um, it's slightly disappointing is that that his later biographies don't really come to grips with this. And there's there's room for someone to write a, a better one, I think. Um, but in any case, the, the, the apologia is there, his letters are there, we've got loads of his other letters, and um, uh, it's, it's a really good uh, read. Um, now, what was interesting is, so Newman was at a very low ebb publicly at this point, and he, I mean, it, was public, it, it was sort of received rapturously throughout England, Catholics and Protestants, mm. and um, George Eliot, who uh, by no means a Catholic... <laughs> She um, wept upon reading the conclusion of the Apologia. She mm. found it very moving. 
So I, I, what I, I say this is this is not um, a, a sort of like like a tract to try and you know, shove everyone into the Catholic Church. It's not going to work like that. It's, it's, it, it, I think um, I say this because I haven't read many of them, but I'm just going to say it's the greatest work of prose of the 19th century. And uh, the greatest really? work of non-fiction prose. Okay, yeah, let's go, let's go because, to that. Yeah, because um, it might have some challenges in the fiction category. Mm-hmm. But okay, all right. So, are there any? I mean, to test out that that positioning, is there any passage that you would want to share that's sort of illustrative of of the text itself? Um, well, this is um, from his an early period. So, it's my opinions up to 1833, and he talks about going to uh, the Mediterranean. And we went down for the second time to Sicily and so on. And he, he goes on, he, he's really talking about really how much contact did he have with Catholics at that time. And the answer is actually very little. I knew the Abate Santini at Rome, who did no more than copy for me the Gregorian tones. Frode and I, Froude and I, made two calls by Monsignore, now Cardinal Wiseman, at the Collegio Inglesi, shortly before we left Rome. Once we heard him preach at a church in the Corso. I do not recollect being in a room with any other ecclesiastics except a priest at Castro Giovanni in Sicily, who called on me when I was ill, and with whom I wished to hold a controversy. As to church services, we attended the Tenebrae at the Sestine, for the sake of the Miserere, and that was all. My general feeling was, all save the spirit of man is divine. I saw nothing but what was external. Of the hidden life of Catholics, I knew nothing. I was still more driven back into myself, and felt my isolation. England was in my thoughts solely, and the news from England came rarely and imperfectly. The bill for the suppression of the Irish seas was in progress and filled my mind. I had fierce thoughts against the Liberals. So this was a um, politics, as I understand it. It's, it's, there was a, they were, uh, they were uh, Anglican, well, Church of Ireland dioceses in Ireland, Ireland which was a predominantly Catholic country, and I think by this time they were sort of realising it was a, um, that someone's going to correct me on the history here, and uh, Certainly not good me, for them, but... yeah <laughs> let us hope someone does um, uh, they um, really kind of uh, reckoning with reality, which is that quite a lot of the Irish population had no interest in attending Church of Ireland services, and these Church of England, uh, Church of Ireland dioceses had, were really ought to be suppressed. But um, Newman and his friends have gone, this was an abdication of the responsibilities of a notionally Christian country. And so what is surprising, of course, what brought them together and galvanised them was a a, um, protest against Catholicism, against Roman Catholicism. Hmm. And so one of these ironies is that Newman, they all came together um, and that way, and then that sort of led them out. It, it, it's one of those things that I've not fully appreciated, and sometimes I can't quite believe it myself. Uh, it, it, that certainly seems to be the background to how. And this is the, they are not the paths you expect these things to follow, and that is true of I think anyone really is. You get from A to B, but you don't actually expect. But the way you get from A to B is never really the straightforward, straight line where you expect. Fantastic. Um, I, I would just say one thing: if you're reading um, the Apologia. Um, I had great fortune because the edition I read first um, had uh, the um, correspondence between him and Kingsley, which is a real cracking read. Um, people, particularly Newman, the real subtlety of it, the way he just like putting, the, putting the knife in, yeah. Um, it, um, very gentlemanly, but really, really quite superb. And he, um, but I was lucky in that the edition I read had that at the beginning, and I just opened the apologia and I started reading there. Whereas a lot of editions, it has that printed as an appendix. So my advice is to print, read that first, 
right. and then um, and then read the rest of the book. All right, so that was our introduction to the Apologia Pro Vita Sua by John Henry Newman. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please do subscribe. We have new episodes every other week. And if you like what we're doing here, please do tell your friends. And if you're so inclined, give us a review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help. If you'd like to comment on anything that you've heard or offer feedback, please do drop us a line. That email is conversations at campion.edu.au. I want to thank Thomas for joining me today. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. And we will be back next time with another Campion Conversation. We hope that you can join us then. Well, there's a story about um, Teresa of Avila in a carriage going around trying to sort out the church in Spain. And um, the, as she's crossing the river, the axle on the carriage collapses and she goes tiptoed into the water. And she said, great mystic, so she has a sort of relationship with God. And she says, God, why did you do that? And God said, Teresa, did you not know this is how I treat my friends? And apparently she replies, no wonder you haven't got very many. <laughs> A snap back at God, I like that. Campion Conversations is a production of Campion College of the Liberal Arts, Australia.